This is the BBC. This podcast is supported by advertising outside the UK. BBC Sounds. Music, radio, podcasts. Available every day during the Cricket World Cup. This is the TMS Podcast from BBC Radio 5 Live. There's a mix-up. Oh, there could be a run-out. There will be a run-out. Oh. The tie. Australia is in the final. The captain has scored the winning run for Sri Lanka, who have won the World Cup for the first time in their history. He's bowling, that's it. The West Indies have retained the title. And India have caused one of the greatest upsets in the history of all sport. Australia have emphatically won their fifth World Cup. Hello, welcome to the TMS podcast at the Cricket World Cup. West Indies against Australia lived up to the hype, actually. Reaction to that match to come. We'll get the inside track on the making of this West Indies side from Kirtley Ambrose and Stuart Law. We'll hear about A.B. de Villiers' last gasp request to be named in South Africa's squad. And I chat to Liam Plunkett about the physical work that he puts in to be England's middle-over wicket-taker. From BBC Radio 5 Live, this is the TMS podcast at the Cricket World Cup. So, an excellent game of cricket here. I've got Jeff Lemon and Fazia Mohammed uh, with me to look back at that. Where do we start? With the West Indian or the Australian? Let's go to the West Indian. Uh, Fazia, I thought you had it. I thought it was going to be your game today. I thought we had it as well, but... Uh... Australia played championship cricket. We've talked about this over and over again, that when you're accustomed to winning as the West Indies were so many years ago, you know what to do in the tough times. 79 for five, you win by 15 runs, you get almost 300 runs. And even with the West Indies, with Jason Holder and Andre Russell hitting the big sixes, you still believe in yourself. You strangle the opponents and you just have that belief. One wicket here, a brilliant bit of feeling there and you can bring it over to your way and that's what championship teams do yeah Jeff I mean that, that that's kind of Aussies at their best in, in a way showing fight I mean and, you know they'll look at that top order and think oh well, 79 for 5 wasn't great but you know, that's all that resilience, that, that, you know, that gutsiness. It was Australia winning a match they had no right to win, mm. basically. But you can't be West Indies and let a number eight make 92 runs. You know, that's just absurd. A, a tail ender coming in and whacking 30 or 40, well, that can happen. But he very nearly got 100. He was batting in the second last over of the innings and could have made a ton. Yes. That's on the bowling team. And that's on the... Well, they dropped him once, didn't they? Yes, so, they did. And that was a simple catch. So you pull off a worldly catch to get rid of Steve Smith, but drop the simple one that lets Coulton Isle continue boshing runs. So I think the West Indies let it slip. And even chasing 280, they should have done it, but they just weren't composed enough at the right times. I mean, it felt like a big game today. Yeah. Uh, for, 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 for both teams. I know it's kind of an obvious thing to say, but, but the way that the West Indies have, have demolished Pakistan here and Australia in a way lots of attention obviously in this part of the world on them and how they're rebuilding and what, what they're doing and and so I think Australia will be really pleased to have come out of this one. Oh, it was a huge game because yeah. West Indies had played so well in that first one whoever won this would have gone two and zip and would have been up at the top of the table with New Zealand. Australia's managed to do that despite I'm still not convinced by their lineup on paper. I still don't think they've brought the perfect squad or, or necessarily got the 11 right but they were able to do it nonetheless, and yeah. that's what they can do. And let's look at the tactics then, Fuzzy. We, we, we talked about that a lot, didn't we? And we watched you know, say West Indies bowl fast and furious at, uh, at, at Pakistan. Tell me, you still need to be controlled, don't you? And if the, the first ball of the match was five wides uh, because they opened, well, not because they opened with O'Shane Thomas, but they did open with O'Shane Thomas, which actually they didn't do against Pakistan. Uh, Holder opened, didn't he? And it was just a... It, it felt a bit tighter, and they, but they went to the big man, 24 wides in all. 
what, what, what do you think? Do you think the umpires are being a bit stiff on them at times, or, or did this, do, do they lack the control this time to really make that attack work? Do you think? I think they got a bit carried away with what happened against Pakistan, uh, because you've got to recognise that. Look, you did that once. You, you, you roughed up Pakistan and you got them out for 105. You're going to be very lucky if you do the same to Australia. And, and I thought they, they indulged a bit too much. Uh, 24 wides in, 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 in total. One of them, as you said, going for five. And Michelle Stark started with five wides as well. So you've got to be much more controlled. You've yes. got to be much more disciplined in that regard. We might say, well, the West Indies lost by 15 runs and they had 24 wides. It's not as simple as that. Because as you said correctly, the match was over some four or five overs ago before the end. But I think the West Indies, they, they've got the right tactics. It's the execution. They've got to bring that extra level of discipline and accuracy to what they're doing with the ball. Yeah, I would mean, say the Aussies really enjoyed the short pitch stuff very much. I mean, I mean Kawaja in particular, it was a brilliant catch uh, from Hope behind, but he, he seemed to give himself a little bit of room there. He got hit. I mean, he's hit a couple of times now. One of his confidence is perhaps suffering a little well, bit. Well, yeah, he was hit in the warm-up match and had to go for scans after being hit on the jaw and he was hit twice today and once was the ball before he got out so logic would tell you it had something to do with it he yeah. doesn't normally back away a metre to leg stump and then try to carve through backward point so that's how he got himself out against Andre Russell so that was a factor Glenn Maxwell I think came out and felt like he had to take it on it's his job to to hit back and so he went for the first bouncer and top edged it and away he went for a duck as well so I and mean, that was a pull shot too wasn't it I mean they, yeah. I mean, they, they did get some wickets through it well, Absolutely. They yeah. got the top order, the 79 for five and then yeah. 147 for six. You should bowl a side out for 200 or less yeah. when you've knocked off their top order for that. And uh, that, that's what they weren't able to follow up on. Credit to Steve Smith. I mean, again, there was some muttering and a bit of booing and stuff when, when he came out. We're, we're a friendly lot up here at Cambridge. And I think, so I think I don't think it was that hostile. It, was more, it felt more of a pant- a bit of a pantomime boo almost. And that, well, well, I suppose you better do it. Yeah, boo. It's, we're required. We're just exactly. a contractual obligation. It felt a bit more like that, if I'm honest. And they, they, they applauded his half century. But you know, he just played really well, didn't he? I mean, it was a typical, you know, very calm, very controlled innings that he had to play. And that enabled Kultanar, I suppose, to play the way that he did. Well, exactly, and Kultanar wouldn't have played that innings if he'd had a, another tail-ender no. at the other end, so that enabled him to decide to be the one to hit top gear, and even the way that Steve Smith got out, I mean, he middled that. It was a gorgeous shot, that clip off his legs that was soaring for six and would have been a six uh, most other days, no. but he just happened to get on the end of a ridiculous catch. Well, let's talk about that, and if you haven't seen this, uh, listener, then you've got to go to the BBC website because I'm afraid, and, well, I'm not saying I'm afraid, I'm, I'm glad to say that I think that is now the catch of the tournament for me. I mean, I mean, we announced that Ben Stokes already won it in the first match, which is perhaps a bit ridiculous, but that was an incredible catch. This catch by Cottrell out on that short boundary at, well, long leg, wasn't he? Running around to his left, watching the ball, watching the boundary, sticking out his left hand. All he will say was, OK, he is left-handed, so it was, it was, it was going to his strong side. But to do all of that while watching the boundary and then feeling his weight take him over that boundary and to throw the ball back in again and take the catch. I'm, I'm, it's up, I'm sorry, Fazir. It's up there for me. That, that's, that's number one for me. You're not going to find any argument with me. No, I don't think uh, but, but, but really, it, it was an outstanding catch. And I think it's right that we get excited about these, these elements of the World Cup because it comes around once every four years. And, yeah. and this is the beauty of the World Cup. A brilliant effort. You expect players to put in that extra bit of effort, that extra bit of oomph, that, that extra bit of brilliance, whether it's in the field or bowling or batting. And that was certainly a remarkable effort from yeah. Sheldon Cottrell. And they, they practice these things, don't they? I know yeah. you can't practice anything quite as brilliant as that, I suppose. 
but you know they they, they will have, they do work on boundary catches and 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 putting all of these things into account. But that was that but, was something special. But seeing it live when it all comes together, yes. I think it's that thing of watching something happen that you know is going to be replayed in 30 years' time. You know that people will say, "Remember that catch yes. at Trent Bridge," and for him that'll be that'll come up for the rest of his career and well after that as well. People will say, oh, I, "I was there. I saw I saw you do that that day." You know, to be able to to tiptoe along the boundary line for about four paces where his shoe was nearly clipping the yep. padding but not quite then to throw it up then to go out then to come back in that was just extraordinary it was I think he was so excited you can you can overrule me here if I say, but I didn't see him give his salute I think he was just so carried away by it all he was too busy high-fiving and, and the batsman had gone by the time it was the, the salute could have been made I think he just he was totally carried away by it I think by the time he came up with the salute somebody probably told him you haven't saluted us yet <laughs> and he just did this sort of you know curse free sort one. of yeah just to ensure that he had it there for the record so his sergeant major doesn't get on to him in, in Kingston. Well, it gives a new meaning to military medium, doesn't it? it? <laughs> oh, well, that was that, if that was brilliant. I wasn't very pleased some of the umpiring today, um, but there were four out decisions that were overturned. Um, and I know Michael Holding knows me having a bit of a go on on on, on the TV. That, that, that's a high rate of, of of getting things wrong. It's a difficult job, and we never like to criticise umpires and all of that. But and they are supported by DRS now, but they are very highly trained. Um, to have four outs overturned in one match in a one-day game. Look, I thought a couple were understandable. Gales behind. Gales won the, the balls, stump. clipped the stump, yep. and so that he's thought it's a nick on the bat. And I think Zampa's leg before against Holder, where he's tried to sweep and it's hit him on the back leg in front of middle. Well, it pitched half a centimetre outside leg stump, but it looked plumb live. So that one I thought was fair enough. But the one against Gale was a a bit of a shocker. It was about six inches outside leg by the time it even hit the pad. Yes. That's the third time, I think, you've counted, haven't you, Fazio, about the time that the balls hit the stumps. That wasn't a a sort of a hard hit. It did sound, obviously, to the umpire, at least, and and, and everyone out there, like, like an edge. But is this becoming something with these heavy bales, with the lights in them and so on? What do you think? Yeah, I think I think that's exactly what it is. There's something about those heavy bales. We actually saw the first time that it happened in this World Cup. It lit up, but it still didn't fall off. Yes. So it, it tells you that maybe later on at some really critical point of this World Cup, that is going to happen again. And then we're going to be talking about it. what would have happened had, had we had the old-fashioned bales and so on. But uh, the, the game is moving on. The, the, the zing bales make a whole lot of difference. It's very visual. Uh, but these are all elements that you take into the game, like broader blades, thicker bats, shorter boundaries, so many different elements in the modern game now. And big sixes too. Andre Russell's mm. 103 metres. That was, that was measured. That's up, into the, up into the top deck up here. Uh, the Radcliffe Road stand I mean, that's, that's enormous absolutely monstrous it yeah. disappeared we couldn't see it from no. the commentary box because it went above the roof and, and then came down again but uh, I was in the press box in, at Eden Gardens in 2016 when he hit the, the press box with one in the uh, I think it was the World T20 semi-final so he's a monster when he gets going he is but you know it's still only six Yes. So, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm sure he'll probably tell himself, you know, if I could take back 30 meters of that one and tuck it onto the one where I got caught, that would be more important. So it, it's dramatic, it's spectacular, but it's still only six. Yeah, he did rather give it away as well afterwards, didn't he? But anyway, it was an excellent game of cricket. I mean, I just think you know, for, just one last thought. I mean, from Australia's perspective. Jeff, on, on, on they march. Well, w- winning ugly is, is a big part of Australia's makeup. you know, to be able to not be at your best but get the results anyway. West Indies were not at their best and couldn't get the result today. And I think Australia pride themselves on being able to slog their way through uh, even when they're not fully firing. 
And the Windies, just a thought, what do they... Yeah, I think they'll take a lot from this. Obviously disappointed because it was a match for them to win. They couldn't win it, but they're going on to play South Africa next. That's going to be on Monday. Then on Friday, they play England. They'll be in Southampton for a week. The West Indies, from my reckoning, have the best schedule of this World Cup. And they need to make it count. And uh, it's just about taking the experience from this and moving on. Let's see what their captain has to say, shall we? Kevin Howells is with Jason Holder. You must be frustrated by that because you took that so deep. Real nip and tuck in the chase. Yeah, a little disappointed in the way we lost the game. Um, yeah, as you said, I thought we were in, well in control most of the game. And, you know, just a few irresponsible shots. You know, we lost um, wickets at crucial stages, which we probably should have hung in a little bit longer and, you know, just knocked it around. You may be disappointed by that, but, of course, the, the pressure is put upon you by you've got a great bowling attack. We've seen that, but so too Australia. So you will learn from this in the tournament. Yeah, we definitely have to learn from it. You know, as, as much learning as we can take from it, has, you know, has to be taken. And I think there's, there are lots of positives. You know, to bowl Australia for 288, it's a big positive for us, you know. I thought we were pretty decent in the field, you know. We probably let one or two slip, but overall, I start. I thought most of the guys knuckled down and got in, which is another positive sign. You know, we just need to go a little bit deeper. And Kevin Howells also spoke to Australia's captain Aaron Finch. Well, that was a, a brilliant game to watch. I imagine you and the team, as well as enjoying the victory, will take an awful lot out of that. Yeah, absolutely. There's still a lot of improvement, which is a which is a real positive as well. I thought from four for thirty to fight back and, and create a couple of big partnerships there to get us to two eighty eight was was a great great fight and go, showed great determination especially from our lower order and then we, we kept chipping away and taking wickets which was crucial with the ball. But towards the end as well piling up the pressure because the West Indies must have thought they'd not got it in the bag but they were they were looking just edging it weren't they really so Mitchell Stark for example. Oh he's a world class bowler when with the old ball when there's not much happening he, he's as good as, as there is um, and I think that the pace that he bowls, the angle, the left arm angle, as soon as you get a new batter in, he can squeeze them really hard as well. So, uh, brilliant performance by Mitch, but I thought our bowlers in general were, were all really good. Tournament cricket, this is a record-breaking ground, which record-breaking totals are scored. It's a whole different game, isn't it, when it comes to, to World Cup? Yeah, absolutely, and I think on a used wicket, it was uh, it was a little bit up and down, especially with the harder ball. It was when the guys banged in, and it was even even guys who batted for quite a long time said that it was hard to pull just because it was a bit inconsistent off the surface. So we found that, and we, we probably persisted a little bit too short for a bit too long with the ball, but uh, all in all, tournament play, it's about scraping through however you have to and, uh, and keep improving as you go along. From BBC Radio 5 Live, this is the TMS podcast at the Cricket World Cup. Extraordinary story today that South Africa's former captain, A.B. de Villiers, who retired last year, uh, approached the coach, Otis Gibbs, and the captain, Faf du Plessis, and the selection panel to make himself available for the World Cup 24 hours before the squad was due to be announced. Now, uh, the selection convener, Linda Zondi, has commented on this, so uh, it, it sounds as if that it did happen. It was, and the quote is, it was based on principle. We had to be fair to the team, the selection panel, franchise system and the players. We had players who put in the hard work, who put up their hands and deserve to be given the opportunity to go to the World Cup. So, it, I mean, it sounds as if it's a, a, a credible story, but... Um, what do we think about AB rocking up with 24 hours to go saying, I'll tell you what, fellas, I fancy going to the World Cup. Yeah, if it is credible, I, I think they made the right call because he was saying over a year ago, you know, well, when he wrapped up that test series against Australia, he was he was done, that was enough. He was going out on a high. They'd thrashed Australia at home. All was well. You know, it was about a year ago when he actually went public, but he said he'd already decided in March last year that he was retiring to come back a year and a bit later and say, well, actually, I think I've changed my mind. It, it's like having a relationship with someone who breaks up with you and wants to get back together all the time, you, at some point you have to say, well, you've made your decision and yeah. we're done. Yeah, sounds fair enough, doesn't it, Fuzzy? 
when Viv Richards retired from international cricket in 1991, everyone thought that was over. And then for the 1992 World Cup, he wanted to play. He wasn't selected and that was a big talking point. It doesn't matter who you are. Viv Richards, Sachin Tundulkar, A.B. de Villiers, nobody's bigger than the game. And you can't pick and choose when you want to play. Fair enough. Uh, just another quick story that's been doing the rounds, uh, suggesting England uh, might well drop Adil Rashid for Saturday's match with uh, Bangladesh. He was expensive here against uh, Pakistan, but uh, he's been so successful, of course, uh, as England's part of the makeup. I wonder if that means they're just going to go pace against Bangladesh and, uh, and and try and do that. But Car- Cardiff normally is, well, I'm seeing a game there this year, but it can be a bit sticky in yeah. the scene. What, what, what do you think? He's of that? got a good record at, at, at the ground. He's, yes. You know, he took. Uh, well, two for 47, one for 54 in the last Champions Trophy. Took three wickets against Australia there last year and uh, averages 26, strike rate of 28 at the ground. So it seems to suit him. I don't see why you'd leave him out. No. England have got to be careful they don't become victims of their own hype coming into this tournament because there's no way anyone is going to play unbeaten all the way through. There are far too many variables and you've got to stick with those you know to be your true and trusted performers and your match winners so uh, they've got to be thinking carefully before they rush to these changes well I'd agree and it just seems to me that all you do is, is feel better actually I mean that was so much of the issue here uh, the other day you were here first year weren't you but that's what I hope they've been doing some field practice precisely from, from, from the first over as you mentioned Owen Morgan with yeah. that error the drop catch and, and so much else you, you've got to just simply do the basics right if you want to win a World Cup and support your bowlers if, if Roy takes the catch off Rashid then he probably doesn't get hit out of the attack well, that's also very true well we'll keep an eye on that is still two days out. That match, of course, is on on Saturday, but certainly a, a chance, therefore, of Liam Plunkett uh, returning to the side. He sat out the Pakistan uh, game because uh, Mark Wood played instead. And uh, here we go. I've been to speak to him now about his physical preparation for matches, the diet, uh, the fact that he's given up alcohol, actually, and how he's changed as a bowler over the years. Obviously, when I first started, uh, I was over the ball and swinging it away. Uh, obviously decent pace then not as consistent and then that's why I wasn't obviously around for the longevity of someone like the Jimmy and people like that is obviously I struggle with my consistency but yeah it's the funny thing now it's I sort of took away all uh, the outside things of where's this arm going and all this kind of stuff and try and concentrate and hit my areas and obviously when you get confident with that running in you you work the batsman out and you find yourself as soon as you hit your areas like that, you sort of automatically go, all right, I'm just going to try and take this in here or just hold it on a length and rather than stressing about everything else. But yeah, I think I used to swing it away and obviously I always thought I would do that. And yeah. from that now, yeah. It's always... more fun running up and swinging the ball away nicely or, or pulling your body through all this of running in and bowling bounces. Yeah, obviously I did do that when I came back for the test in 2015-16, but obviously now I feel like I'm, I vary my pace. Uh, and I think that's something that... On often days, I was speaking the other day, it's sometimes I run in and I can feel like I can hit my 90s and some days I don't. And some days, with my action, good or bad, take it out however you want, is a ball can come out at 88 and a ball can come out at 82 with the same action. And I feel like I need to use that as my advantage. Because yes. if you're running and hitting the, bat, uh, the batsman hard and the next one's similar, but that's where you get your court covers and stuff. And that's maybe how I've got the wickets in the middle that I have. It's not always intentional, the change of pace. Sometimes, obviously, you go and you mix your cutters up and your wobble seams. And yeah. I don't often try to... I'll work the seam from straight seam to cross seam to wobble seam and try and hit the same spot. And sometimes the ball reacts differently. 
Uh, yeah, sometimes I run in the same and it comes out slightly different. Yeah. So it's, I wish I could always <laughs> claim that I did that on purpose, but not always. Now, come on, how do, how do you build up for a game? In it? It's, it, I mean, especially a tournament like this, actually, where you might have some high intensity, you know, a couple of games in three or four days and then a, a, a few days off. When, when do you uh, actually really start focusing in terms of physical work? Normally I'll do some, I don't really have a full day off. I'll try and do active recovery. I find it hard. I feel it's better. If I just stay in and do nothing all day, I feel like I get more lethargic and I'll probably stiffen up. Whereas that day off, I would either do a light bike and, or often do a good yoga, like a 40-minute yoga session. Or some of the boys would get out and walk and golf. So you're getting some miles in your leg. You're getting that fresh blood in your system. So I'm pretty much the day after. Uh, I listen to like podcasts of... Uh, the great like LeBron James and Ronaldo and stuff is their yeah. their motto is just a recovery, active recovery. There's you can't do you know what I mean? It, yeah, it's yeah. all you're always on. Uh, so, so it's never a feature in front of the telly day then. It's if I've done my little bit of work, I, I'd find it hard just to sit in bed all day. Well, sometimes you do do that. I, I'm, I've got nothing against that. People benefit from that, but I feel like if I did like my 25 minute yoga or I did like a light bike or something, I feel better for it, and I feel my body uh, the day after would be less stiff. Uh, but yeah, that, that's just for me, as I'm always trying to think, how can I be my best to ball in the nets today? How am I going to be my freshest? Uh, and all, as I said, often is that, it's just the active recovery mode. So. Yeah, yeah. Alcohol? I, I don't think I've touched on anything for about four and a bit month now. Right. Uh, so like in the past, you do enjoy your, the odd beer and stuff like that. But as I've got older, I've, I've tried, obviously moving to Surrey and the World Cup, I've completely cut it out. Uh, I feel obviously better for it. I think it's about four months now. Uh, so obviously you haven't got how long have I got in my career it's probably should have something I've done a long time ago mate to be honest with you uh, but often you just you turn up and when you're really young then beers don't affect you as much as when you get older yeah. uh, and it's something I, I feel really good for it's obviously I get up early and you can have more time to do your recovery and stuff and uh, there's nothing wrong people have the odd beer and it's what relaxes them and they sleep better thumb that, nothing against that but for this time right now I just thought I'd give myself the best chance if I ever did get injured it wouldn't be from me doing the run recovery strategies so it always will uh, it was just meant to be an injury do you know what I mean it's yeah. uh, I've played a game high intensity my body might have reacted but it's nothing from I've done from the outside I've done everything I can and, and then I would take it on the chin well I'd kick myself in a World Cup if I got injured and it was from me doing something I shouldn't have been doing so yeah that's where I'm at right now with that so and as I said I feel in a good space might have a glass if you win yeah, win the World Cup, absolutely. I'd, I'd love to celebrate with the guys, and I said, yeah. that'd be a well-deserved one for sure. Yeah, yeah. And what about food then? Again, something from, from my generation, you know, it, it, it wasn't even really ever talked about what, yeah. we should, what we should eat or what we shouldn't eat and when we should eat and all that sort of thing. So when, again, with, with a game in mind, what, I mean, or I suppose, are, you, are you almost constantly on a fairly monitored regime? Yeah, well, you just don't realise how many calories you churn in a game. I mean... Some of the, especially the Southampton game against Pakistan, and that huge boundaries. You're looking at that day, 8,000 calories in the day. And for me, speaking to Emma, who's our nutritionist, she's really good. Is I just don't eat enough, and that's the risk again. Is if you don't eat enough, you get cramp, you pull a muscle, then you're out. So, but she's really good. And some of the programs is we actually eat more than you think we'd eat. It's just yeah, eating, okay. eating the healthy stuff and always. Like you're eating your, your good meals a day, but then can you squeeze in two protein shakes in and you're having your right stuff for, for before bed, like going to bed with like a tub of cottage cheese or something like that. And it's all the little things, but it does help that the recovery again, it's everything's built into that. Recovery is the, pretty much the, the main highlight for me is doing yeah. all that kind of stuff. But yeah. obviously it's, people think eating health is boring, but it's not, isn't it? If you get educated in it and speak to the right people there's obviously ways around it and you can obviously enjoy your food and still be healthy as well but 
if you if you're working that hard, you can treat yourself to whatever. It's you mean you're putting in the in the hours. You can treat yourself to some pizza or whatever. It's well deserved sometimes. Yeah. yeah. And and what in the interval, say, uh, like with South Africa, are you going to yeah. come out and, and then and then um, are, you, are you then bowl? Are you are you um, eating anything then at all? I try if I know our guys are batting first. Obviously, you have your, your, your solid breakfast. You want to fuel up in the morning, uh, and then when we're batting, I'm trying to like eat consistently, like every hour, just to keep building. Because if it's a quick break and I've just come off like the day I was batting, do you have time to smash in a quick meal? You don't, and then you're on the field. You don't want to feel heavy. So I struggled a little bit with that. I had a few like small bites during the day, like your whatever's out really, like your toasties and your protein shakes, your bananas and uh, protein shake before I went out again. And I, I didn't feel like I ate enough, especially with the nerves going into that first game. So everyone's always on. They can see. They keep bringing you out energy gels. They bring you out banana protein bars. So you, you still kind of fuel all that really. Uh, but it, generally, I will have a have a decent meal if we have the time. Uh, especially if we bowl first, I'll come off and fill my boots. Yeah, it's, it's amazing the difference again for, from when, when I mean honestly when, when, when I was playing you actually weren't allowed a drink <laughs> you know, there was a drinks break sometimes oh, wow. but you it was just all part of the I don't know the wearing down process if you like I mean it's, a, it's amazing how this whole thing has transformed in I suppose 30 years is quite a long time but I mean it's, it's, it's a complete different mindset isn't it yeah as you see you probably see it from the outset of the lads it just gets better and better I mean this group of guys we did our fitness testings and uh, in, in Wales before I went to Ireland and the testings were through the roof and uh, the body fat percentage is down and everyone's going in the right direction and I'm not saying it's obviously not I'm not speaking of football but it's getting better and better you, you can see you're trying to get where football used to be and get better and better in terms of people are trying to be athletes now and some of the stuff the guys are doing in the gym is some of the stuff that you might get away from different sort of uh, sports like I know Josh does a lot of speed stuff uh, speed coordination stuff with weights and uh, some foot drills that you might get from tennis like Djokovic might do stuff like that and okay. everyone's trying to learn and that's why you see that the guys have been doing really well and they've stayed fit for a long time yeah. and another thing that's changed Liam is is the sort of psychological side of it I mean I don't think well that's not changed but 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 the help that you get actually the sort of that that, that sort of mental side of the game in which you are you receive help and assistance and an input yeah. do you use that much I, I do uh, I'm open I'll speak to People, do you know what I mean? I'm not afraid of telling people how I feel about the day and your stresses and stuff because sometimes you speak to someone that helps you. Yes. You might, it might be something you're stressing about, and when you bring it to light, it's nothing to worry about at all. And often we find ourselves worrying about stuff that's not going to happen anyway. Because uh, obviously, if you know you're going to play in a World Cup game, you think, "Oh, this batsman's on, on fire and stuff," and how come the first change is already out? So it's, you know, what I mean, it's, it's just getting. Uh, things in place and speaking to uh, we have a youngie he's, he's good to speak to uh, I sometimes do a bit of work with a guy called James who's been part of the ECB from the outlook a little bit I'll speak to him now and then and uh, about what about about anxiety about nerves those yeah, sort of just things in, just in general stuff sometimes you don't want to speak about that to in the team environment people do hear but if you want to just like another person to speak to and you know it's not going to go any further it's just like how are you feeling about this I feel about this do you not just yeah, yeah. And sometimes you get something from the conversations, but it's just, just just catching yourself before you get too down on yourself, or sometimes it's the other way, you get too excited about yourself and you go out and don't perform because you're that way. So there's always both ends of the spectrum, right? So it's just keep yourself level. Good day, bad day, can you keep the same and learn and, and move on from that? Yeah. Often notice you potter off when you get the call. Is that for a bit of an anxious pee or something? Pretty much, mate, yeah. Uh, I change my socks, that's what I say anyway, but... Uh, yeah, I, it's Do you just, feel a bit nervous like that? I don't know, it should become a routine. 
Yeah, I, I don't think it affects me one almost, bit. Almost a superstitious thing. A little bit, yeah. And I don't. It's just because generally I know when I'm about to bowl, so I just like a quick swap. But if all of a sudden I'm bowling the fourth over, then I'm on. I don't. I probably wouldn't go off. Okay. Uh, but then you're fueling yourself because I I'm not the best. I cramp quite a lot. It's just I think you do the testing. As I'm, I sweat a lot of salt. I, uh, do you mean I lose a lot? So I do sweat a lot. So I'm always fueling up before. So you're always full to the full to up to your neck. So obviously you want to go. You don't want to feel like you need to have a, a wee before you're bowling. So it's just uh, get that off and get back on and get good to go. The TMS podcast at the Cricket World Cup. Well, I really enjoyed that chat with Liam Plunkett. How fast polling has has changed over the years. Now I've got in front of me just four little bits of paper left because everybody else. Uh, has had the chance to select their highest scoring batsman in the World Cup. It's a little sweepstake that we're running. Mm-hmm. Um, there's your four. Jeff, you can choose one of those four. Choose one of these. All right. Okay. And Fazia, I'm going to let you go next. Uh, you've got only got three there to choose from. I, I'm not sure. Who have we got left? This if, is the interesting thing. If I, I get Azhar Ali, I know it's a stitch-up. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've got I've got Aaron Finch. I know that. So that's uh, not a bad Aussie. Go on, then. Who have you got? Go on, Jeff. I've got Chris Gale. Oh, there we go. Well, it didn't go so well today, but um, no. he scored them quickly at least. I'll tell you what, I wouldn't mind having Chris Gale. Fazio? Well, after a poor start, I, I hope he really goes on like a tree now because I've got Johnny Bairstow. Oh. Well, I think we've done well, Fazio. <laughs> I think, not I think too bad both, at all. I think if both of us, do we get a chance to trade these things in or not? We, no, we don't. Oh, OK, well, there we go. Uh, that bit is John. Joe Root apparently is still unclaimed. I don't mm. know who the two people are yet who haven't had a chance of selecting. So one of those two there, who's going back in the producer's pocket, uh, has got Joe Root all over it. So, Fazio, you're staying with me a second, as you know yeah. we've been uh, asking for people to contact us from where they're listening uh, to this TMS podcast, from some sort of non-crickety, I think that's a word, but anyway, non-crickety locations. Uh, and you can send that to tms at bbc.co.uk. Put podcast in the title. Paul Barrett uh, has been in touch from Port Hardy on Vancouver Island, where he works for the Canadian Coast Guard. That's lovely. He says, I love the podcast. Really enjoying the World Cup so far. Also delighted with the ECB's choice of colour for our jersey. It's identical to my uniform, so I've got no need to spend $100 to buy it. Well, that's fine. So Van- Vancouver Island, that's quite an unusual one. Well, here's uh, one from uh, Nathan uh, Scrimmager. I hope I've got the pronunciation a, correct. Hi, all of TMS. I'm an Australian listening from Trondheim in central Norway. I was lucky enough to sink part of my paternity leave with the World Cup. Well done. So my one-year-old daughter and I have had something to listen to on our little day trips. I'll be listening to the latter stages of the tournament from my brother-in-law's town of Bodo within the Arctic Circle. Sometimes it feels for You said us. that with total confidence, didn't you? <laughs> exactly. It feels like we're in the Arctic Circle sometimes no, here in England, uh, where we'll drive north to under the light of the midnight sun for part of our summer holidays. Fantastic. Well, Enjoy yourself, that Nathan. That does sound brilliant, doesn't it? Uh, Steve Stevenson, uh, Sam Stevenson, sorry. Uh, hello, TMS. Uh, I'm not massively exotic compared to some of your other correspondents, but I regularly listen, sitting on my balcony in Brashoff, is it Transylvania? Sipping local red wine and watching the sunset over the Carpathians. Very pleasant. Very pleasant in, indeed. Tim Rawlinson says, Hello, TMS. I'm on a slow boat down to the Mekong, down the Mekong River in northern Laos. Fantastic, uh, Tim. You're making us all jealous. Not a lot of cricket here, but uh, I've been using your podcast to explain to my American travel partner the nuances of the game. I wish you luck with that. Happily, since we're on a boat, he can't run away, uh, though I think he's a bit bored of 
hearing about Joss Butler's batting. Uh, thanks so much for the podcast. TMS has been my lifeline to England since leaving for America five years ago. I think a lot of uh, uh, teams are wary about Joss Butler's batting. They are indeed. Fazia, thank you indeed for that. We'll see you next week. Indeed, in Southampton. In Southampton. I look forward to it. So the West Indies may have come up slightly short against uh, Australia today, but we're going to end this episode of the podcast, the chat I had with Stuart Law and Kirtley Ambrose about the rejuvenation of cricket in the Caribbean and the making of this impressive West Indian side. Stuart was head coach until autumn of last year and Kirtley had a stint as bowling coach. You'll hear why Kirtley was initially against the appointment of Jason Holder as captain and how Stuart sought to bring back the West Indian identity of fast bowling. Having grown up a, a fond lover of the way the, the West Indies played their cricket throughout the, the 80s and the early 90s, you know, to, to actually be part of what was, you know, I believe a, a very special part of the world, to go in and, you know, change a culture um, slightly to, you know, try and get the best out of, you know, the players that we did have. And the first and foremost was, uh, you know, the work ethic and the training that we had to, you know, put into the players to make sure that they were being able to not only, you know, you, you're dealing with players that have got immense natural ability yes natural ability will get you only so far but uh, if you had the you know, the fitness and the strength the stamina to be able to repeat your skill level over and over again they're just going to get better and better and we saw great improvement very quickly um, regarding fitness levels also but the way we played the game the way we wanted to play the intent that we wanted to play with um, and I was I was you know dreaming you know when I took over as the coach you know you always wanted to have five six ten fast bowlers that could bowl 95 mile an hour and you know, go around the world and you know, really show them how to play you know, the, the brand of cricket that the West Indies are renowned for and you know, now we're starting to see the fruits of fruits of that labour and the way we've gone, the way the West Indies are going about it today, um, it was outstanding up front. Yeah. How, how worried were you, Kirkley, about about where West Indies cricket was going four, five, six years ago? I mean, did you really think it was it really was heading towards crisis territory? It certainly was. I mean, when you look at where the team was once upon a time and where we are currently, it was cause for concern. And we've been struggling for a number of years, tried many different coaches, and it just didn't quite work. Not the coach's fault, obviously, but the players just never really, you know, got going. And uh, in everywhere I traveled, people asked the same question. I mean, but... Let's be honest, Jonathan. I mean, it's a learning process for them. Most of them are still very young. The thing is, back then when when I made the team, you got a lot of senior players around, great players around, who could who, who, who molded me into what I became. When you look at the present West Indies team for the last few years, all these players are basically learning the trade at the same time. There are not too many senior players to, to, to guide them. So, you know, we took a pounding, but I believe that We've got natural talent, natural ability, but like Stuart said, that alone won't take you to the top. Yes. It takes a lot of commitment. you got to be physically fit. Cricket is a hard sport, and you can't go out there expect to perform for half of the match and expect to win. you got to go the full distance. What about attitude as well? I remember Viv Richards uh, combusting at the Oval 
when uh, one of the some mid-90s teams, it must have been, uh, were, were beaten by England. And I remember him almost shouting, you, you can talk the talk, you can't walk the walk, was one of the what he was shouting. And I knew what he meant, because they, I think he felt there were some still strutting around a bit, living on, on, the, on the past, and that the great West Indies teams. And actually, what he was saying is, actually, I'm sorry, lads, you guys don't come near to that. I mean, do you think that's what you're saying? Has that well, changed? Well, it has changed quite a bit because if you look back from back in the 70s, you know, the West Indies team, they were always full of talent. Clive Law and the Richards, Hayes and Greenwich and the like. But they weren't as fit. That's what they brought in Dennis Waite. Yes. And from time Dennis Waite... Australian Waitt, physio. Yeah. Australian, exactly. Yeah. He really started to get them into shape, put them into shape. He was tough. But then you see the results after. So skills alone only take you so far. You've got to be physically fit to enjoy and go the distance because cricket is a hard sport. Yeah. And Dennis Wade was real responsible. You know, I mean, look at the Curry, Curry Packer era. Natural talent. Yeah. But we kept losing. Why? Because we weren't fit enough. And from the time we got Dennis Wade, there was a difference. Yeah. Well, did you sort of get that viv attitude? I mean, is that something that you... Sort of just realised when you got there because all I'll say is that having met and, and then interviewed a number of the West Indies Test squad again only a few months ago, they seem a hell of a bunch, nice bunch of lads. These fellas, you know, they they were they did seem very grounded and there wasn't any uh, any sort of strut or anything like that. There's, the, the attitude seemed different. No, these the, t- the Test players, uh, the current Test players, you know, they they're very very humble and understanding of where where all this uh, the success started from and. You know they they do look up to the the legends of the the game that the West Indies produced over that that period of time from the late 70s right through to the the early 90s mid 90s, um, and to to live up to those standards is something that's going to be Im- impossible. Yes. Um, I know in Australia we still talk about we're still looking for the next Shane Warne we're looking for the next Glenn McGrath we ain't going to find them because there's only one Shane Warne only one um, Glenn McGrath there's, there's only you know one Viv Richards only one Kirtley Ambrose. Um, they're just not readily available, but what we what they do have is they've got passion for Test cricket. Uh, number one, they all want to play Test cricket. They've got passion to be the best they can possibly be at any given day. And once you have those two things, coupled with a little bit of you know a lot of natural ability, um, a bit of extra work on the on the outside, fine tuning and what have you, there's the makings of a really good group of cricketers, and that's what I see in the in the West Indies. Um, you know, my time there, there's guys that aren't even in the setup that are still very skillful. Yes. Um, and now it's up to them to find a way to, to make sure they they put numbers A on the board, but also do the right thing, look after themselves off the field, get fitter, so they're able to do it for longer. And I'm sure the opportunities will come. There, there's immense talent. The under-19 team goes to the World Cup every time from the West Indies, and they do really well. Yeah. So the talent is there. So it's not a question of having to unearth and... <coughs> unlock you know uh, a, a, an island where all this secret talent it's there it's in your face it's just a matter of getting into a system and I know you know working tirelessly with um, Jimmy Adams the director of cricket out there Johnny Grave the CEO uh, working hard to get a, a domestic structure that that works and provides the young players with enough people around them to have the skill to nurture this talent and to make them step forward into you know international cricket as Curtly says Cricket, cricket's a tough game, hard game. Test cricket is probably the t- well, is the toughest on the planet, um, and it's very difficult to learn on the run. If you haven't got a, a, a domestic structure that allows you to play hard-nosed cricket, 
week in, week out during your season, you're never going to get ready for test cricket. And to learn on the run, you are going to have some floggings. You're going to cop it for, for a couple of years until you start getting those players who are able to do it. This team, current team here we're watching here today, they have got experience. They've got some guys they can fall back on, Chris Gale and Andre Russell. Jason Holder's nearly there. He's, he's, he's played a lot of cricket. Yeah. He's nearly there as one of those experienced players. One's not enough. You need quite a few in that in that group to make sure that they're um, you know, nurturing, the talent is brought through, and then they start succeeding on a world level. Yeah. How do you see the development of, of Jason Holder? Because I mean, he was he was so young when he was made captain four four years ago. Do, do you see him having? Do, do you look back at that think that was a, a good decision to have made, a brave decision to have made, or might they have given him more of a chance to have played? It for was a brave decision. I wasn't for it when he was selected to be the captain for the 2015 World Cup. We were in we were in South Africa at the time, and they made him captain. And at the time, Jason Holder wasn't even a regular member of the team, and I wasn't for it. One, he was too young, wasn't a regular member, and I figured with all that talent, he needed to be, needed a couple of years to be a regular member of the team first. Because, I mean, you can't be captain just for captain's sake. you got to be able to command your place in the team. So I wasn't for it. But a few years later, he has really blossomed, come a long way, got the team going, the gel quite nicely, and I think he has improved tremendously. He's a tremendous young man, a you know, very, very thoughtful character. Um... He's he's very much the the big brother of the the group. He everyone looks up to him. Um, he's been one of those leaders that, by leading by example out in the field through through performance, he's definitely done that. Particularly in the Test arena, at home last year, he was outstanding. Um, you know, and he has been getting better and better. He's he's been scoring hundreds as well. So, look, his his performances, you know, really um, started to improve, which I think is a mark of a good leader because um, there's only so much you can say. If you're not going to go out there and do it yourself, your words become useless. So he, he, he speaks what he what he does, and he goes and lives it out on the cricket field. And, you know, as, as a leader, the, the amount of work he does by keeping everyone together, um, and as you say, you know, people from you know, different cultures, different backgrounds, different islands, um, and to, to keep them all together. He, do, he does a fantastic job behind the scenes. We don't actually see a lot of it. When did you go back to the, the sort of the fast bowling route again? There was a while that West Indies pitches were slow and they were spinning and it was all going to be these spinners from Trinidad and Guyana coming in. And now you look at the team here mm. and it's back to, the, it's back to the good old days again, isn't it? Of, sort of sniffing the leather and all of that. So was that a conscious decision? Yeah, 100%. Um, you know, my, my experiences around the world and watching you know, domestic cricket, international cricket, um, there's people say they like facing fast bowling. That's that's not true. No I one likes I don't believe it. that. No one likes it. Some play it better than others. Yeah. Um, and to have four, you know, big burly blokes running at you bowling 90 plus, it's not it's not a very pleasurable experience. So we said to, to couple with that, that's that was the idea. When I went in, I wanted to make sure that we had a, 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 um, a stable of fast bowlers ready to go at any stage during our home test series. And if we could have um, wickets that suited that style of play. So we needed a bit more grass in the wicket. We needed to have them firm. We needed to um, make sure that our batters were equipped to face short bowling as well. And it was a conscious decision to go down that road. And I've watched a bit of first-class cricket in the Caribbean. And for me to see five overs of fast bowling one end, five overs from the other end, and then spin for the rest of the time, I just went, what, what, what's going on? Where am I? Um, <laughs> That's not what I remembered. I remembered, you know, hearing stories, um, you know, talking to people and experiencing it myself. That 
no matter who you came up against, you, know, you used to have the little caption underneath the player's name on TV, you know, Winston Benjamin, medium pace. There was nothing medium about his pace. <laughs> Ke- Kenny Benjamin, medium pace. No, 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 he was fast. Yeah, um, yeah. So those guys, you know, that's how I wanted the West Indies to play again, you know, yeah. to go out you know, like, like they did, emulate their heroes and challenge the young fast bowlers. I want you to bowl fast. Hi, this is Josh Butler. Thanks for listening to the TMS podcast at the Cricket World Cup. Uh, I don't really listen to it because I enjoy the Peter Crouch one more uh, and tail enders is all right. But uh, if it's any good, you can also email the team on TMS at bbc.co.uk. Put podcasts in the title and explain the rules of cricket to them. Laws of cricket.